Welcome back into We're Talking Tonight. Craig Malasso and Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Danny, let's go back to the quarterback position there just for a second before we spend a little time on the defense. Um, you talked about the transfer, but historically, how was Georgia Southern uh, – how was the quarterback done health-wise? Because I can tell you, previous to Levi Lewis – we didn't have too many quarterbacks that, that finished the season or started all 12 games. Have you guys historically had a pretty good run there with the same guy during the season? Well, when you're an option team and your quarterback is going to be part of that run game, not turning and handing off, but actively part of that run game, he's going to get banged up. He's going to take his lumps and he, he's going to miss time. And I, geez, I'd have to, I want to say that 2018, Shy Wirtz started every game that year. But outside of that, the Eagles have not had a starting quarterback go every game since, oh, maybe, maybe 2013. But I'd have to, I'd have to confirm okay. that. But yeah, I'm, it's it's just not a system that's built for the same guy to go when you're part of an offense that's running it about 600 times a year. I, you're you're going to get knocked out. And even last year, Georgia Southern was still running a cousin of the option, but the two primary quarterbacks, Justin Tomlin, Cam Ransom, were both out for the year by the end of the year. So Connor Sigelski, who's a redshirt freshman out of Marist up near Atlanta, he started the final two games, had never taken a snap before BYU. Okay, welcome. Here's a top 15 team and for 20,000 people. Good luck. Now with Van Trees, they're, they're not putting him in as much a harm's way because he's going to be throwing the ball a lot more than an Eagle quarterback is used to. But he he's a better runner than people give him credit for. He had a chance to use his feet here and there with Buffalo, even though he was turning and handing off in their version of that RPO at Buffalo. He played for two head coaches as well up there when Leopold Efricans, he played for Mo Linguist last year, who took that job. But I, I would I would knock on Wood say that if this improved offensive line can build that pocket around Van Treese, then Georgia Southern wouldn't have to necessarily worry about all the depth they've got in that room. But as we know, nothing ever goes to plan when, when you're talking about it 10 days before kickoff. So if, if I heard you correctly, eight, quarter, eight quarterbacks in camp, um, much depth there as far as uh, experience or, or any other transfers? You've got Sigelski back, who started those last two games. And I, I would say that after Van Trace, you've got two guys that are sharing those number two reps with, with him and then with Colton Fitzgerald, somebody that transferred in from Boise State. He was buried on the depth chart, but actually looked pretty good during a couple of scrimmages. And then after that, you've got Richie Lankford, who is a transfer from the College of San Mateo. I don't know if that you would see much of him this year. A couple of freshmen after that with David Dallas, Trinity Christian up in Sharpsburg, closer towards West Georgia, won a state championship last year with his brother Josh, who's a wide receiver with the Eagles. And they were both committed to Western Michigan last year before this staff got here. They talked to them. They flipped their commitments. So hopefully they'll get a chance to have nice careers here once fully healthy. And then Zach Roseman at a Marietta and Walton High School. Those are the six primary guys. You've got a seventh in walk-on Brooks Pangle who wears the number 31 
So that's not somebody that you would probably look at to take very many snaps outside of doing some things on some scout team. There is there is depth in that room, but as far as tested depth, Van Treese does have those five years worth and 26 starts at Buffalo. Sigelski a little bit, but outside of that, nobody else on the roster has taken a Division One snap. Well, I, I'm assuming that Van Treese did – uh, was more of an option quarterback up at Buffalo. He probably took a couple hits there too. So, in, in you know their RPO, he was more or less. They weren't looking at him as the running threat, but because of that, it opened up some avenues for him to score rushing touchdowns. And the numbers there were a little bit better than I think he would get credit for. But when you've got Jared Patterson, who's rushing for nearly two thousand yards a season, and now he's in the NFL, they, they've always been physical they've had deep running back rooms even last year when a lot of the conference was watching them play coastal carolina coastal had that non-conference road game up at buffalo and that wasn't a very good buffalo team last year they were four and eight but buffalo was right with them for much of that contest because yes. of the level of that they played with and you've got to think that somebody like van Treese that was there for half a decade could bring that mentality down even though he's going to only be here for a couple of months if he could have any kind of positive impact on the rest of this team then that's that's found money totally agree uh let's talk about the defense a little bit here uh you know you've got your leading ta- tackler back in a- anthony wilson is the good news but at the same at the same point he's a strong safety and he's uh that means he's Guys are getting into the backfield a lot, defensive backfield, but able to bring in a transfer. Is the transfer from UNC going to be? Is he is he going to get some playing time? Is he going to start, Christian Christian Varner? Yeah, Varner had been out of camp for about a week dealing with a shoulder injury, but he it was back full go today. He was working in with the ones and twos, so I would imagine that he'd be as close to full go as you can by the time the next weekend rolls around. On the back end, another transfer that's done really well at safety. He's probably going to be a starter as Waylon Free from Fresno State. He's a sixth-year senior. He was part of two double-digit win seasons out of Fresno. And then it's the nickel-and-the-dime position. Jalen Denton from Ole Miss is somebody that couldn't get on the field in Oxford, but he's been a breath of fresh air in this camp. He's been a playmaker, whether he's been that nickel or the dime, because we said that the Eagles are going to base with five defensive backs in 2022. So he's going to be on on the field in some way but with the experience on the corners of that defensive line with sixth year seniors that end and Justin Ellis and Dylan Springer you've got Derek Canteen coming back off a season ending injury only two games in the last year Seth Robertson on the other corner was hampered by injury and really he's been banged up his entire career but he's had a really good camp and in the middle it is great to see two guys back who also got hurt and missed most if not all of last season Marquez Watson Trent middle linebacker from Blackhawk High School in southwestern Pennsylvania he'll have a chance to work in the rotation and then seventh year senior yes seventh year senior Todd Bradley Glenn who has had three knee, three knee injuries a bicep injury he had skin cancer when he was in high school at Valdosta, which is just south of here. He would have an eighth year next year should he choose to exercise that, but he's in really good shape. He's had a great camp, and I'm sure that he is simply excited to get on the field because that bicep tear happened during one of the scrimmages last year, so he didn't even get to play. So he hasn't been on the field since the bowl game in 2020. Uh, we've had a couple of those guys, uh, seven-year guys, uh, not going to lie. And that Ken was- Mark, one of my favorites. And uh, pre-COVID, uh, Justin Venable, I believe. they. I, I wonder if he's still playing. You know, it's been a few years. But 
Well, good deal. Uh, uh, quick, quickly though, uh, not seems like you guys got one of the best uh, special teams with Anthony Beck and Alex Rayner coming back. I mean, and and I I don't think there is a enough emphasis on how good special teams can really make the team. Look, this conversation would be a lot better if you didn't have Reese Burns, because if you didn't, yeah. then Anthony Beck is probably the best putter at the conference. He he averages 45 yards a putt last year, but there's Burns over 46 yards. Thinking, okay, you definitely have the two best putters in the league, but a lot of credit to Burns. And I know he's going to go down as being the best putter in program history. Yeah. And you mentioned with Alex Rayner, he's been the primary kicker the last two years, but Britton Williams is a local product at a Richmond Hill and uh, transfers in to – maybe win the kicking battle. And that's Michael Lance, who Georgia Southern saw when he was at Minnesota back in 2019. So he's operating as a graduate transfer. It's been a pretty heavy competition throughout camp. Lance looks like he has the upper leg to use an extremely bad pun, but whoever kicks that first game on September the 3rd against Morgan state, the Eagles shouldn't have much to worry about because there's a lot of talent and Turner West has gotten that embarrassment of riches since he took over that room. Good deal. Uh, you're listening. We're talking tonight. Craig Melanson and Danny Reed. Danny, let's talk about your schedule, though. Four of your first six games on the road. Coach Helton's got to be going to your AD going like, what the hell are you thinking, dude? Which I know Coastal and Georgia State, your your AD doesn't have any control over that because they're, they're conference games. But uh, I, I don't know anything about Morgan State. I mean, are they – I'm, I'm assuming F, FCS, but where from? Baltimore, Maryland. They're in the MEAC, so it's an HBCU school. Okay. Um, are, do they travel? I mean, I mean, most of those, like we have Southern that's not too far away, Grambling. Their bands come, and and actually we pack our fans in too. Want to come to see their bands? Are are they are they going to travel at all? Do you think? I, I would imagine they they. Just like anybody else in the FCS, they have had at least one, if not two, games against FBS schools at least for the last five years. I would imagine that they would have a chance to travel fairly well. The thing that is interesting for them is that they got a new head coach. Now, Tyrone Wheatley was the head coach the last three seasons, and he was there up until the middle part of May when he accepted the running backs coach position with the Denver Broncos. So they had to move quickly, but the guy they hired didn't have to move his house because he was at Division II Bowie State, which is about 45 minutes away from Morgan State. It's in Prince George's County, down towards the southeastern part of the state, and he didn't have to move. It's a half hour from his house. It, it was ideal as could be to move up a classification but not have to change and pack up and move your family and change your situation and for somebody that was at a Division II school for 13 years and had a lot of success, he was asked a lot, why now? Why now? Why do you make this move? He just, just felt it was time. It's time for a new challenge. Morgan State has not had a winning season since 2014. They've only been to the FCS playoffs once in their entire program history. They moved up from Division II uh, just short of 40 years ago. But for Coach Wilson, who went to the Division II playoffs each of the last three seasons, it might take a minute to get that program where he wants, but he's been able to infuse a lot of transfers into their program this year. 
I would anticipate that they're going to be a very balanced offense. And what separated that Bowie State team last year that he coached, they were number two in the country in turnovers forced. They forced 35 turnovers last year. So if they have any kind of mentality that's close to that, it won't take as long. But Morgan State, they've they've been in need of a pick-me-up for a long time. You know, the two teams I mentioned, uh, Georgia, uh, not, not Georgia, uh, Grambling State and Southern, you know, they do not qualify for the FCS championship because they play uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving, or is it the Saturday after Thanksgiving, in the Bayou Classic, and they feel that they make more money off of that game because it's in New Orleans at the Superdome. They make more money off that game than they would any playoff. So they automatically are uh, disqualified from playing in, in the FCS championship. The the thing that the, that is the case, and it's unfortunate, but the thing that's helped HBCU football is, and everybody would agree about this, is Deion Sanders taking over Jackson State because the amount of attention, especially when they've got the number one recruit in the country last year when Travis Hunter decommitted from his alma mater at Florida State to go to Jackson State, a team that was 11-1 and last year, everybody in the MEAC and the SWAC is – competing to play in that celebration bowl, which pits the champions of each league and the winner of that game wins the HBCU national championship. So that's what those two conferences have a chance to play for. And ironically, it was Jackson state that lost to South Carolina state a year ago in the celebration bowl. And Morgan state has not been in a position where they could be anywhere close to that. They've got a two headed monster at running back two of the top rushers, the MEAC. They lost almost all of their receiving from a year ago, but they've got a preseason all league guy at corner and JV on Morton. They've got a couple of pieces, but if they're going to have any kind of success, I would think it's going to be from those transfers that coach Wilson and staff have brought in. The good thing is most of his staff either coached with him at Bowie State, or they played at Morgan State. So this isn't a whole, I got to get used to a whole new set of standards because these guys get it, haven't been in the same county. Uh, you know, say what you want about Deion Sanders. Some people, a pro, or it, it, it's kind of one of those love-hate guys, but uh, what he's done for Jackson State and uh, the, the H, I knew I was going to screw that up, but the historically back black colleges and university has been awesome in my opinion. So... Listen, we're talking tonight, Craig Melanson, Danny Rita, Georgia Southern Sports Network. Uh, Danny, uh, I, I, again, I don't want to go through every game, but you got Nebraska early on. Uh, yeah. They're, they're, they're coaches, I would say, on the hot seat. But you've got a first-year coach, so I don't think Nebraska can just assume anything because, uh, you know, they don't know what Georgia Southern is going to bring. What – have, have you looked at that Nebraska game yet? You can look ahead. The coach can't. The coach can't. Well, the reason why that's uh, a kind of a fitting question is, I don't know if I told you this, but I grew up a Nebraska fan. Oh, really? Yeah. So when I grew up and they were running their version of the I option under Tom Osborne with Tommy Frazier, who is still my favorite college football player of all time. I'm, I don't know if I get a chance to meet him. We go out to Lincoln 
but uh, I, I, I'd geek out a little bit. I'd just, I, I don't mind saying that. It, it, was, it would be really cool. I've been to the Sea of Red once. I went to the football stadium, not for a game, when I was at the Citadel basketball. We had a chance to play Nebraska in 2013. So I've been in the press box. I've been in the booth. I've seen what it's like. It's been nine years, but to get to call a game there, this, this is a bucket list for me personally. And it, it's going to be awesome to just watch everything. With Nebraska, they're going through a little bit of change, too, because Scott Frost has called the plays his first four years as head coach. Mark Whipple is the new OC. It's his offense. He's calling plays. Frost is now more of the CEO. And Georgia Southern probably not thrilled to see Whipple on the other side because it was his UMass team that beat the Eagles for the national championship in 1998, and he came back and was the head coach when they destroyed Georgia Southern in 2017. But the, the moving parts, they'll have to figure out how it's all going to fit. They actually play on Saturday. They're over in Ireland, over in Dublin, to be the stadium. They're going to play Northwestern this weekend okay. in a game. So that'll be nice. Georgia Southern get a chance to watch that. And they, even though they don't play until next weekend or the weekend after that, they're still focused on Morgan State. But to get that look at what Nebraska has a week before everybody else. It's but a real, real film as opposed to them playing okay. Lighthouse of the Blind the first week. Uh, transfer quarterback Casey Thompson led the Big 12 in touchdown passes last year at Texas. They've got a lot of good running backs, which if you're in Nebraska, it makes sense to say that you've got a lot of good running backs. They were really good defensively last year, but because the offense couldn't score in the red zone, their special teams were brutal. That's why they went three and nine, but eight of those losses were by one score. So all they needed was for something to go right in four of those games. And they're a bowl team instead of having one of the worst seasons in the history of the program. Well, at Nebraska, then at UAB, who has been a pretty good team the last few years since they brought back football. And, uh, man, that that's kind of tough. And if I remember correct, you got Ball State. I shouldn't say for – I'm looking at the schedule you're bringing in Ball State. But they've had a pretty good team. M maybe not the last couple of years. I'm not sure because I, well I, I should have looked at it. Well, you guys played UAB fairly recently, so yeah, you. I think you ended their long home home field winning streak. They're in the new field now. They opened their new stadium last year. I think it's two hundred million dollars worth. So that'll be a sight when the Eagles go there on the seventeenth. But really good running game, really good defense. That that will be a challenge for this team. They're picked to finish near the top of Conference USA. They're going to the American next year with a bunch of their conference mates, and then with Ball State two years ago during the COVID season, they won the MAC championship. They beat Kyle Van Treese's Buffalo team in 2020 for their first MAC title in I think more than 30 years. They had almost everybody back last year, but they they stumbled a little bit. They had a lot of injuries on their offensive line. They finished under 500. Those two are both home and homes. UAB will be here next year. Georgia Southern goes to Ball State in 2023. But after that, after those first four games, you're in the throes of conference play. And for the Eagles, those first two are on the road going to Coastal. Maybe you see Grace McCall this year because the Eagles are the only team in the league that have not seen him play yet. He's been hurt those first two meetings. And then after that, you go up to Atlanta to face the Panthers. We're gonna we're gonna bring up Georgia State a little bit later and Coastal, I uh, I think. But uh, well, yeah, all all of you the the guys on the West will bring up. If you don't mind, let's take another quick break and uh, come back and uh, get into a little bit of the Sun Belt conferences. Not too long. I know I'm taking up more of your time than uh, you probably wanted and than I expected. But if you don't mind, we'll come back right after this. Craig Malasso and Danny Reed on your talking.
I said, uh, welcome. Uh, we're going to take it back, uh, come back in a few minutes and to your talking. But actually, it's we're talking because we're talking football with Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles on the Georgia Southern Sports Network. Danny, let's um, the guys I really want to touch on are I don't know how familiar you uh, I know I don't think you were around when Georgia Southern was an FCS, but I know you're a student of history. Uh, do, is there any history there with James Madison? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Late 80s, early 90s. That was one of Georgia Southern's first rivals when the program got restarted. Uh, Georgia Southern actually has two of its biggest comeback victories in school history against James Madison. One of those actually both were in Harrisonburg. And I think a couple of times the Eagles have played the Dukes for homecoming at Paulson Stadium. But that'll that'll be cool to renew that because I want to say they met for seven or eight straight years from 85 through 92. Georgia Southern is seven and one all time. That, that'll that'll be a nice one to have them come back down here. And you want to talk about a team that nobody knows what's going to look like. It's them. They, they've recruited really well. They've been dominant in the FCS. But as far as moving up, is it going to be a seamless transition? Are they going to have things to deal with like App State did early in 2014? But I think eventually they're going to be really good. But that's what the rest of the league is going to have to contend with. And it's, it is really nice to have them in this conference. Uh, how... Uh... How, how for, familiar are you with uh, Old Dominion? Because it, it's one of those teams that, it, to me, it was kind of a little bit funny. I believe they started the season uh, one and five or something like that, then rolled off five straight bit victories and became bowl eligible. But the five straight victories came right after they announced that they were moving to the Sun Belt. So, yeah, funny. At, funny. And at that point, I was pulling pulling for them against every conference DOA team there was well there's their shared history with those two because just like Georgia Southern Old Dominion's program went away for a while came back in 2009 and then Georgia Southern and the Monarchs met in the FCS playoffs twice in 2011 and 2012 Georgia Southern winning both of those games both for high scoring games in fact the 2012 game in Norfolk is one where the Eagles scored 28 points in the fourth quarter and it's a game that Old Dominion still talks about as a game that they haven't gotten over. They've only had one winning season since, and that was in 2016 when they won 10 games. But Ricky Ronnie is their head coach. He was the offensive coordinator for James Franklin at Penn State. They just announced that Hayden Wolf is going to be their starting quarterback. He's the guy that led them to that resurgence in the back half of last year. They've got the best tight end of the league in Zach Koontz, and you can't miss him. He's almost six feet nine. I think he's going to have a huge season, literally a huge season. The, the thing that they're going to have to contend with is that the guy that was hired to be their offensive coordinator, Dave Padnode, resigned two weeks ago. So they just announced within the last couple of days that Kevin Geiler, a 30-year-old assistant coach who served as their interim OC for the bowl game last year in Myrtle Beach against Tulsa, he's going to be running the offense this year. But in a way, it seems like Coach Ronnie has been grooming him because they've been together at a number of stops. They've got the stability at quarterback at tight end. Blake Watson is a really talented running back that doesn't get enough of a mention. Offensive line has become a position of stability after it wasn't last year. And then defensively, I think they've got one of the better safeties in the league in Artarian Johnson. That's a road game, so Georgia Southern will have to make the trip to Virginia. 
And the last time that they were there, that stadium looked a lot different. They've sunk $70 million into that facility the last decade. So it's going to feel like they're going to a completely new situation where for a lot of people that went to that playoff game, it's, it's, it's not going to feel anywhere near where it was before. Well, just like Coach Helton, uh, I've got to believe Old Dominion's uh, coach is going, asking their AD, what the hell are you doing with this schedule? <laughs> they, they, they get to host Virginia Tech. Then they go to East Carolina, then they go to Virginia, but now they host Arkansas State, which I think Arkansas State will be improved, but then they host Liberty, then go to Coastal, and then to Georgia Southern. I mean, it's not an easy schedule they got. I like what the Monarchs are doing there. Yeah, once they finish up their Division One tour of the state of Virginia, they just have to deal with everybody else in the Sun Belt. It, it's going to be a tough road for them. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens as far as them getting bowl eligible. Um, Marshall is another a team. I know App State and Marshall has a lot of history. Is there any history with Georgia Southern and Marshall there? Sure. Both were in the Southern Conference up until 1996, and Marshall won the national championship that year when Randy Moss was the – <laughs> major wide receiver he came to Paulson Stadium he had two touchdowns that night and Marshall was number one in the country they backed it up the rest of the season but to now be back in the same league as the Thundering Herd I'm I'm really looking forward to those trips to Huntington whatever the sport is because even though I grew up in Western Maryland I've never been to Marshall's campus so I've never seen the fountain for the 75 and I'm really really looking forward to being there and learning even more about the unfortunate history of the plane crash back in 1970. But for the, for the program that they have built, not just football, but that entire athletic department, new athletic director got hired within the last few months, Christian Spears taking over. Charles Huff is a Nick Saban. Well, the, the, the other one get fired because of the football schedule they have this year. Sorry. Well, well the funny thing is Doc Holliday was seven and zero in 2020 lost his last three games and they fired him. Charles Huff comes in. He was with James Franklin for a spell at both Vanderbilt and at Penn State. But at Alabama is where the not only assisting Nick Saban, but 247 called him the number one recruiter in the country. So I would think that Marshall enjoys the fact that they could tout that. But a, a year ago, they lacked depth on the defensive line. And the Cajuns were a primary reason why they only went seven and six with that victory in the New Orleans Bowl. Had to come back in the fourth quarter to do it. But a really talented roster, very good skill positions. Corey Gamage is going to be one of the better receivers in this league. New quarterback with, with Henry Columbia coming over after playing at Texas Tech and Utah State for Matt Wells. One thing that just happened with them, uh, Rasheen Ali was getting a lot of coverage during Sunbelt Conference Media Day. One of the best running backs in the entire country. Had this 25 touchdowns last year. He took a leave of absence from the team earlier this week. And it's, it's undisclosed for why. Apparently, he is still with the team, but he is not an active participant. He's not in uniform. And apparently, this is something that's going to drag on for a little while. Charles Huff is hopeful that they will get him back to readiness at some point during this season. But for a team that a lot of people believe was going to be the dark horse in this conference, I don't know how you keep that up without Ali. They've got talent, but that is a huge hole they've got to fill depending on how long he's going to be out. I totally agree with you there. It's very interesting because the real non-conference, only real non-conference threat they have is Notre Dame, in my opinion. I don't know how good Gardner-Webb or uh, or uh, 
shoot, I just had it here. Bowling Green is going to be so. Uh, but Notre Dame is Notre Dame still. Um, Mar Marshall's campus, I, I would love to tell you it's a beautiful campus, but quite honestly, I was there. Uh, we played Liberty. Jay and I drove to uh, to Bloomington, Indiana, to, to, to for the Cajuns to play the uh, the Hoosiers and and get bit slapped around, and then we drove to Huntington after stopping at Buffalo Trace and a couple other distilleries. Uh, and if you Buffalo Trace, if you'd like to be a sponsor of this podcast, podcast, we gladly have you. But uh, then we went to Huntington and caught the basketball game, which Cajuns led halftime, but ended up losing. But the, the fans there were, I, I love their old gym. It reminds me of the old field houses and everything, but it's nicer. It's nicer than what uh, that, that team in Atlanta has, uh, which I don't want to say their name because. Well, but, not this year because they're opening that shiny new gym. Yes, I know. This year. But uh, it, it's nicer than Georgia's, what Georgia State had. But the, the fans there were very nice, and they were very excited and, ve and very much hoping that uh, Marshall would be able to move into the Sun Belt this year and not wait another year. So, but here nor there. So, moving on, uh, we covered, uh, well, since we brought them up, Georgia State, how much better are they this year? Or are they better? I mean, I, I think they're, they're a team that seems to – can't find their footing for the whole season here's where i am on georgia state a year ago they were everybody's sleeper because of how well quad brown played in 2020 quad brown plays two games loses his job to darren granger transfers out but they still end up winning a school record eight games they beat the tar out of ball state in the bowl game and now everybody is thinking that this is going to be their best season ever. But if you use last year as a history lesson, you know that whatever you think is going to happen, something's probably going to be dropped in and is going to mess that up somehow. They've got a really good running back tandem and Tucker Gregg and Jamias Williams. Their offensive line always seems to be a strength. You do lose a guy in Quan Gilmore, but the other four starters are back. Travis Glover, Jonathan Bass are two really good ones. Malik Sumter seems like he's been there for 15 years, but he's back at center. And then defensively, you got two of the league's better tacklers and Blake Carroll and Jordan Venzial and Antavius Lane is a really good safety. I, I don't like admitting that Georgia State is good in anything, but you got to give Sean Elliott credit because he's built a program and they're they're a legitimate threat in this league. They just are. I, I agree with you. I mean, especially if you, but but I, I but I also agree with you on the point that if you look back at them, they they go they go in and beat Tennessee, lose to Auburn, but which I think they got robbed that game, honestly. Yes. They should have won. They should. They should have won that game. But uh, this schedule sets up for them pretty well, I think. At South Carolina, to open the season. I don't think South Carolina is uh, untouchable. And then they get to host North Carolina, get to host Charlotte, and get to host Coastal Carolina. I mean, well, as a sidebar, I don't. I don't know what North Carolina is thinking because their first two games are Sun Belt road games. They open up in Boone against App State, which is probably going to be a 40,000 40, crowd game, which will by far be the biggest in Kid Brewer Stadium history. Then <laughs> they're going to Atlanta to take on Georgia State. So if they're not careful, they could be 0-2 coming out of that. 
But for for Georgia State, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that they're going to win 10 games because that, that's extremely lofty with as tough as the East is. And that's still considering that a team like Old Dominion finished in seventh in the preseason poll, but they could easily beat anybody with the talent that they've got, even though they might not look as good as everybody else at the outset. There's potential for Georgia State to win the East. There really is. But as we've said a number of times, don't be shocked when things don't go exactly the way you anticipate them. Because just when you think you've got it figured out, this league shows you why it's called the fun belt. I, I For me, it's all about uh, show me because uh, Georgia State has been that team that has shown promise and then fallen flat on their face. Uh, quite honestly, two years ago, they should have beat the Cajuns in Atlanta. The Cajuns ended up winning the game. But that's that's neither here nor there. That was a good season. But it, it, it's it's all about show me right now. So, Coastal Carolina. Uh, kudos to them for getting Army in. I wish the Cajuns would play Navy in New Orleans. There's, I don't know if the naval base is still there, but uh, I I think that'd be I'd love, and I'd love to go to West Point, which. Uh, Georgia State actually goes this year because Army went there last year or the year before, I believe. Uh, I, I would love to see that. And uh, But Coastal plays Gardner-Webb, which I think we talked about earlier with somebody playing them. Buffalo. Um, it's, it's Coastal going to be up there? I mean, do you really? I mean, I, I, I want to hate him. I really do. But Grayson McCall, if he plays – it, it, it makes them a different team. He's the most important player in this league. The most important player for any team, any side of the ball in this league. He is the sole reason why they're even close to Appalachian State in that division. That's still something that everybody else is going to have to deal with for at least this year because this is probably going to be his last year. But because they only have three starters back on defense, I've got a tough time thinking that they're going to keep up the standard of back-to-back 11-win seasons. Jamie Chadwell has built something. Their offense is very unique. Nobody's figured out how to slow it down yet outside of App State in the second half of that game in Boone last year, which was a great spectacle. And for them to win at the very end and keep Coastal from winning the East Championship, which is why you played against the Mountaineers instead of Coastal at Cajun Field last December. They're still going to be very good. They get Sam Pinckney, who transfers over from Georgia State, and that fills in a couple of holes in that passing game with Isaiah Likely now playing for the Ravens and Javon Hiley trying to make the Cincinnati Bengals. But with Grayson McCall still running that offense, I think that Bryce Carpenter would have been fine if McCall would have either gone to the NFL or if he would have just transferred to a Power 5 program. But simply having McCall there with two of the better O-linemen in the league, led by Willie Lampton, who's going to be changing positions this year, there's still a team that's I, – I would think that they're at least eight, nine wins, but the lack of what they have as known commodities on defense keeps them from winning that division for me. They still can, but not knowing what they're capable of yet, I, I, I can't say that they're going to be better than App at this point. Uh, I will concur. Interesting, very similar to the Cajuns. They play a late-season game against Virginia – whereas the Cajuns travel to Florida State. So very interesting. I love I love it. I love the late season matchup against a Power Five. So 
Got to take advantage of it, though. So the team that you brought up uh, last, App State, and then we'll get you out of here. Appreciate you taking more time than we had talked about. Uh, but you're listening. We're talking Craig Malonso and Danny Reed. Uh, we're talking Sunbelt Conference football. Uh, App State, uh, no offense to Marshall, uh, lots of offense to Coastal Carolina, uh, but App State's still the team to beat. Am I wrong? No, no, you're exactly right. Okay, well, we can move on. We can fit. No, App State, <laughs> though, uh, where, do, where do you think their strength is, I guess? I'll put it this way. They're going to be on their fifth offensive coordinator in the last five years. Kevin Barbe is running the offense after working under Jim McElwain at Central Michigan. He worked with the nation's leading rusher last year. Lou Nichols had over 1,800 yards rushing last year. So for app fans to hear that and knowing that they've got two of the better running backs already with Nate Noel, who led the league in rushing, Cam Peoples, who almost had 1,000 yards himself, those two are back for one more round. Defensively, they do have some holes to fill. But it would seem that they've got a bit of this effect that Arkansas State had for a while because Arkansas State had five head coaches in five years, but yet they still kept winning championships because they they knew they were, they had their system, and it worked. App State knows who they are. They have their system. Then they might Last year they threw it a little bit more because of Chase Bryce coming in, more equipped to throw the football not that Zach Thomas wasn't but Chase Bryce his skill set throw the football more set the school record for passing yards I would anticipate that this year they're going to be more of a run team because they lost their 360 year wide receivers and I would be hard-pressed to find another team in the country that had 360 year wide receivers but to have those two running backs back and to have the strength up front that they do Cooper Hodges is going to be one of the league's best offensive linemen I, I would think that they're going to be not just amongst the league's best at rushing, but I would think that they're top 10 in the country in rushing yards. How big is the game against North Carolina for them? I, I, I know the game's a sellout. They sold their allotment of season tickets, which my understanding is, I, I don't know how many of them, but maybe a thousand of them probably went to North Carolina fans. Uh, I, I can tell you when we were down in baseball, LSU fans bought our season tickets when when they and when LSU played here in Lafayette because our season tickets were fairly cheap. Well, were very much cheaper than what they paid in, in Baton Rouge, and they got an opportunity for their team to play. But how big is that game? Not just because it's in Boone, because it's North Carolina in state. I won't call it a rivalry in football because they probably don't play enough but they go into college station the following week. A few years ago, when they backed into a home game against Miami, a lot of app people viewed that as the biggest home game in the history of Kid Brewer stadium. It wasn't a conference game, but it was a power five opponent. They had 35,000 people. I think it was a noon kick and Miami went in and dominated, beat them every which way. I was shocked. Take that and add North Carolina to that a couple of years after, off of seven consecutive bowl wins or seven consecutive bowl appearances, off of another appearance in a Sunbelt championship game, they're going to put everything in their complement. Look, I know that they're going to say, well, we, we, we they don't care that Texas, Texas A&M follows that game. Do not care. I they agree. Are, they're going to try to do everything 
short of calling the fire department because of too many people at Kid Brewer Stadium to beat the flagship institution in that state to win the game. They beat them in Chapel Hill just a couple of years before when they blocked a last-second field goal. Now, whatever happens after that for them happens after that. But this is crazy. To th- I think they're going to be favored in that game. I think I think they're going to be favored to beat North Carolina. And you would have never thought that a Sunbelt team would be favored against a Power 5 team. But at home, it's already been reported that there's going to be 40,000 people there. I'm not going to be shocked if App State is favored to beat North Carolina. I agree. And I'm a huge Mac Brown fan, quite honestly. Uh, App State as well. He's a former coach there. Oh, He's really? Still got, still got a house up in Boone. I, I did not know that. Well, I guess I'm not that huge of a big Mac Brown fan. Be a, be a closet Mac Brown fan. You'll be all right. No, I, uh, I I don't pull for them in football. I grew up as a North Carolina basketball fan. So it's one of those things, just huge Dean Smith fan, uh, Roy Williams and all the guys that, that played there. Uh, I got to meet Michael Jordan on Bourbon Street one year. So uh, it was. You told me about that. Yeah, you did tell me about that. That's that's probably my – is I've met Dan Marino, uh, Merlin Olson, uh, Deacon Jones, uh, Bernie Kosar, Warren Moon. I could go on, but it's like my still my favorite thing is standing on the corner talking to uh, Michael Jordan. So <laughs> I'll have to do a podcast with about four or five of us that talk about or that talks about uh, who's who's our not necessarily our, our the biggest star we met, but our favorite star that we met. So, but uh, Danny, uh, thank you so much. Uh, next week, uh, if you don't mind, we'll go over the East of the West. I'm sorry. I keep, I don't know why I keep getting that so confused. And then we'll talk about the following week's game. Uh, Danny has agreed for those listening to come on weekly. We're going to do a Sunbelt conference update every week. Talk about the games that happened, uh, the, the, or the primary games that happen and then talk about uh, the, the, the future weeks. So Danny, any last words of wisdom? I always have to ask you that because when, when we're talking, you're the smartest guy in the room. Uh, flattery will get you everywhere. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I enjoy getting a chance to talk during baseball season. And fortunately for the two of our teams, it worked out that we met in the championship. I wasn't necessarily pleased with the result, but to know that both of our squads got a chance to go to the regionals and for Georgia Southern to host, it's it's been an anticipation to get back at it. And next weekend, we're all back at it. And I think that this is going to be the start of the Sun Belts, not just the Sun Belts' most important season, but I would think that this is going to be the Sun Belts' best season, considering what's happened, what's been building, the new teams in the league, and what this league now realizes it's capable of. I think that this league is going to skyrocket over the next few years. And this is all the start of that. I, I totally agree with you there. Uh, and uh, I waited this long and I shouldn't bring it up, but as a Pirates fan living in Braves territory, you could not have been happy with the score of the game earlier today. And you're going to say, Oh, I didn't see it. What is it? No, I, my, my phone's been going nuts for about the last five hours. And I know it's not the Pirates scoring if, if that's what you mean. No. So, but that's, that's all good. All right, Danny, appreciate the night. Uh, we'll talk next week. We'll set up a time. We'll talk about the future and love talking, whether it's football. I prefer talking to you about baseball because we're both baseball guys, 
I love talking to you at any any point about sports. So you've been listening. We're talking tonight. Craig Malasson, Danny Reed, voice of the Eagles on the Georgia Southern Sports Network. Welcome into another episode of We're Talking Today. We're talking with Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. How are you tonight, Danny? Buddy, it's great to see you. I hope you're doing well, too. I am. Uh, life is good. Uh, could not complain, and no one listens to me if I do. So, you know, it's all good. Got a little bourbon in my hand. I know so do you. So we're all good. We didn't get a chance to do this in the in the, in the spring because we were record recording at 7 a.m. Central and uh, didn't really get to drink a whole lot of bourbon at 7 a.m. Yeah, if, if that would have happened, something would have either been really, really good or really, really bad. There's no in-between if you're talking that early. Exactly. Well, I thought we'd go through a few things, mainly Georgia Southern uh, tonight. I know it's early. The Cajuns don't play them until later on on the season. But you have a new coach, uh, I'm assuming, a new offense, possibly a new defense. But let's start out with uh, your coach, Clay Helton. Uh, I, I was, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit not amazed that he's the coach there, but that he's had the opportunities as young as he is. I mean, a head coach at USC, offensive coordinator, those are things. And I guess, uh, you know, I know, I know we went through it with Billy Napier, but, but Billy wasn't the, you know, the, the coach at, at Alabama when he, after he came, you know, when he came here. So, Tell me a little bit about Todd. Todd, I knew that was going to happen. Clay, how has the uh, the culture changed? Is there a change in the culture? Uh, you mentioned that there was probably going to be a new offense. And if you're talking Georgia Southern football, most people are preoccupied with how the offense is going to look and what variation of the option is going to be run in a given year. But he's been pretty adamant since he got here that, look, it's new schemes on offense, defense, and special teams. And the funny thing about that is Georgia Southern has a dedicated special teams coach for the first time in a while with Turner West, who spent a number of years at the Citadel. He was an assistant coach with the Dallas Cowboys for four seasons. You've got offense, defense. He calls special teams we fence because you've got people from both sides of the football that have to come together to make whatever team it is work. You're talking uh, KOR, pun return, PAT, field goal, whatever. So that's been nice to be able to talk about in terms of conversation. But with Clay, you mentioned all the things that he's done being so young. He's only 50 years old. He's been in coaching for more than half of his life, spending time at Duke, at Houston, at Memphis, where he worked with Turner's father, Tommy West. And he actually was the interim head coach there for a year when West had to undergo open heart surgery. But of course, the 12 years at USC is what everybody talks about. He was the head coach there for six, really successful tenure, 46 and 24. Now that would work at most places in the FBS, but at a place like USC where it's national championship or bust, winning two thirds of your games doesn't work. And that's very similar to Georgia Southern, which is why Chad Lunsford didn't make it after going 28 and 21. He was let go right after that Cajun game, a very close game at Paulson Stadium, but one that Louisiana won. And then it was Kevin Woodley for the final six games. And it was just trying to keep the, I guess, the oars in the water, the ship on somewhat of a straight course and just not let it get too much out of hand. And I guess you could say a three and nine record was good just considering everything else that was so up in the air. But what was so bold 
about that whole situation with Coach Heldon. He got hired with four weeks left in the season. He was the first coach that got hired in the entire cycle. So he was in Statesboro for that Coastal Carolina game. I feel bad that he was having to walk around the tailgate lot that afternoon and evening with all the rain that was coming down. And it blew into our booth. Our spotting charts got entirely messed up. Coastal was up 28 nothing. It wasn't a great way to introduce him to game day at Paulson Stadium. But I think he realized that, look, it, it was a struggle getting through last season. And he simply needed to evaluate. He was finding good things. He was finding bad things what he wanted to keep, what he wanted to change. And something that he's mentioned a number of times, Georgia Southern, of course, hosted BYU last November, and that was the number 14 team in the country. First time they had ever played, highest-ranked team that had ever been inside Paulson. Georgia Southern was 3-8 and eight at that point, and it was a sellout crowd. There's more than 20,000 people there, and you can say a lot of it was because BYU traveled so well. They've got a number of fan groups all across the country because they are a national brand, but that was something that really impressed Pressed him for a team that was struggling on the field and Georgia Southern had a lead against the top 15 team late in the second quarter they ended up losing the game 34-17 but to see him implement his plan over a 14-week offseason whether it was you know, the, those nine weeks of strength and conditioning with new coach Bobby Steiner who was with him at USC has also spent time at LSU and Notre Dame to get him here is great and considering that he's a native of Brantley County which is only about an hour south of here gets a chance to come back home that that's pretty empowering and then those five weeks of spring practice where people that had a chance to go and watch this team evolve saw that look the ball is going to be in the air a lot more you're probably looking at as close to a 50 50 split as they can now sometimes they're going to be throwing the ball a lot other times they're going to be running the ball a lot hey, offensive coordinator brian ellis said look whatever this offense has to do to win that's what they're going to do to win and you'd be foolish to not give the ball to all those talented running backs with jalen white with gerald green and with a couple of freshmen and oj arnold and throw terrence gibbs in there i don't know how much he's going to be able to play this year because he's coming off of injury but that's a four-star guy who was committed to florida but then billy napier gets the job they don't hold that scholarship offer he goes back into a situation where he can consider other schools georgia southern is his fit hopefully he gets on the field eventually and shows that massive talent but getting into fall camp and seeing 130 some people looking around and some guys that played a lot the previous couple of years are far down the depth chart other guys that didn't get a chance the last year or two are suddenly with the ones and twos with the new schemes, with this attitude, and with the buy-in that has taken place from a really motivated group of guys, you would have never known that Georgia Southern was just 3-9 and nine last year. And, look, I know it didn't end very well for Coach Helton out at USC, but this is somebody that won 21 games in his first two years. He won a Rose Bowl, won a Pac-12 championship. He knows what he's doing. It's just a matter of – if people in Statesboro that are so tethered to the idea that it has to look a certain way can open up and realize that if things are done the right way, it doesn't matter how it looks. It just has to be Georgia Southern scoring more than the opponent by the time the game is over. And that's what we're working towards, hopefully as soon as this weekend when Morgan State comes here on the third. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, uh, you know, when, when you first hear the name and, and you think because he was at USC for so long, you think of him as a West Coast guy, but in reality, he went to Auburn, not that far from Georgia Southern. He's from Gainesville, again, not that far from Georgia Southern. You know, uh, he coached at Duke, 
again, not that necessarily that far from Georgia. So he knows the area and he knows how to, I'm sure he knows how to recruit the area. It's been him in the South outside of going to USC, which I guess in a way is South is just way out South in the Southwest, but someone who grew up in Gainesville, Florida, while his father was coaching at Florida, working alongside Steve Spurrier. So they've been family friends for a number of years. But he has said this a lot in our conversations that this is home. And Gainesville is about three hours due south of here. And it's funny that it's Gainesville and we're talking about a Louisiana podcast because that's where Billy Napier is now after four extremely successful years at Cajun Field. So it's funny how the six degrees can work in college football. But this this is home for him. He's had a chance to get his wife in town. She's been here for just shy of a couple of months. They're in the process of getting things set up at their new house in town, getting their sons here. One of his sons is actually playing for his brother, Tyson. He's a backup quarterback at Western Kentucky. So that, that's an interesting family dynamic as, as they'll try to address that over the next couple of months and years. But for him to be back in this part of the country, you, you can, you can look at this as a second chance, but for somebody that was the head coach at USC for six years and spent 12 years with one of the most powerful brands in all of college athletics. He would have to tell people that he was done coaching to not be asked to come to a certain school. And the fact that he landed in Georgia Southern slap, thanks to the boldness of Jared Benko to be so proactive, to want to get somebody in with a month left in the season, to have him be in town, feet on the ground, to survey practice, watch games, get to know everybody on the roster, figure out exactly what direction he was going to take this program, what staff he was going to hire, what support people he needed, exactly what kind of mode of operation was going to take place. They've changed a number of things in the football operations center, which is just behind the east end zone. There's going to be a number of game day tweaks this year. Of course, we've got the indoor practice facility, Anthony P. Tippins and family donating generously to get that project started. There's been a lot of site work being done, so half of the tailgate lot is being overtaken by backhoes and construction vehicles, as that's going to be open by the time we get to next spring. So there's there's a lot that's already changed. There's a lot that's going to continue to change. And I'm go back to a point I made a little bit earlier. For so many people that live in this area and are part of the fan base, they're used to seeing things done a very specific way. It's got to be the option. It's got to be running the football. It's got to be strong defense. And when changes happen in the past, number one, it typically hasn't worked but it hasn't because it hasn't been gone about the right way. It's been this philosophy of, well, this is outdated. This cannot work. We have to completely change, overhaul. These traditions are outdated. We can't continue to use these to talk to prospective recruits to grow this program. What Coach Helton and the administration and the athletic department have done is they've emphasized that, look, where the Sun Belt is headed, and this is mindful of what App State, Louisiana, Coastal have done, adding four new teams, and two of those are now two of the highest operating budgets in this conference. It's a wake-up call that if Georgia Southern wants to be where everybody here believes it should be, it's going to involve two types of investment. One, in the right direction for the program, and two, with open pocketbooks and wallets. Because if you sit on what you've done, it's nice to look at all those trophies, but eventually they gather dust. And you can't have a history by simply looking at your history. you got to be dedicated to your present and your future, and that's what they're trying to iterate. Cajuns know that well. It's been since 2000, since 
we've been to the college world series and that team still looms big over, over the heads of Cajun fans or teams. But at the same time, it's been 22 years. It's time to uh, do it. And I believe coach Steggs is going to be there, but we're not talking baseball tonight. I, I still can't get over though. That, that coach Helton is younger than me. I, I just don't, I am still as a man that I, it's, it, it was kind of like when I, in one of my jobs, when I was hiring kids that uh, I say they were kids, they were 21, 22, 23 years old, but you know, it used to be, you know, they, they graduated college before, or I graduated college before they were, were in high school, but I was hiring kids that uh, weren't even born when I was graduating college. That was a scary time, but enough about me. Um, I think it says a lot though, a, that, Georgia Southern went out to get him and B he was the first coach hired. And that said a lot about his personality to me and his commitment to the program, because he could have hung around and maybe picked up another power five power five uh, gig. But at the same time, he was the first coach hired and, and seems committed. I mean, thoughts, I mean, am I, am I wrong there? Well, one thing that I've, thought about a number of times is with all the strife that took place late last season with Auburn and Brian Harson, how they were actively looking to get him ousted, even though he ultimately is still there. I don't know that he's long for that job. I, I would guess that he's there this year and then things will change. They're probably going to have a new athletic director within the near future, but maybe if things fall another way, if he gets canned and coach Helton says, I want to wait, he played at Auburn. Maybe he ends up at Auburn last year. I, I, it would have taken a lot for that to happen, but it is a situation that you do find yourself thinking about. But in reality, the way that Jared Benko went about this search, they talked to a lot of people because this was a program that needed to get fixed. Chad Lunsford was outstanding for the time that he was here. 2017, 2-10. 2018 immediate turnaround, 10 victories, bowl game, one of four teams ever to go from 10 losses to 10 wins. And even the next couple of years, seven wins in 19, a bowl appearance, COVID season in 20, one of only two teams to play 13 games, eight victories, bowl win against Louisiana Tech down at New Orleans, which I Thank think you. everybody's pretty happy about. Yes, you're very welcome. But there were cracks in the foundation. There were things that were going on behind the scenes that were limiting this program's ability to move forward. It looked okay on the field, but as we've spoken about already, Georgia Southern football isn't about being okay. USC football was not about being okay, just being a little bit better than average, going to bowl games every year and hooting and hollering and cheering for bowls that aren't on New Year's Day or for national championships. That just doesn't fly in either of those situations. But after a one and three start, you knew that you were probably going to take your lumps last year. And with Kevin Woodley being asked to be the interim, I thought he did a great job keeping everything together. I'll, I'll always remember the win against Arkansas State where the Eagles ran crazy against the Red Wolves and then picking up the road victory at Texas State later on in the season. But in the end, it was still three and nine season. One of the worst seasons in Georgia Southern history, third losing season in the last six years. But you get a chance to bring in a guy like Coach Helton, and you see the cachet that he has by the staff that he hired. 
And the OC Brian Ellis was with him for two years out at USC in 17 and 18. You got a defensive coordinator in Will Harris who worked with some of the best defensive backs in the country out of Washington the last four seasons. This is his first time running a defense. Two of those defensive backs went in the top 39 picks in the NFL draft this past year. Matt Meredith, running backs coach, is somebody that has power five experience. He was also at James Madison for two years. He's recently, after being an analyst at Tennessee in 2021 under Josh Heupel, Rip Rowan is a Marietta native just north of Atlanta, having a chance to coach this defensive line with the last at her high school, where he ironically played for Chip Lindsay, who was the head coach of Troy up until being let go last year. So there is, there's a lot to like about where this program is headed, despite the hardship of last year. And Oh, by the way, Kevin Whitley is a holdover. He's now the assistant head coach and he gets back to coaching defensive backs, which is how he made his, Hey, not only as a student athlete here in the late eighties and early nineties, Played for the Patriots for a little bit, went to Canada, was successful up there. Outstanding high school coach in the greater Atlanta area. But being back at the place where it, it, it's just so special. And it, it, it's about heart for Whitley to be here because he's got a son that's going to be going into high school very soon. So for him to be here, it shows you just how much Georgia Southern still means to him. But the talent that has been assembled with that staff and the talent that has been assembled on the field. I know that Georgia Southern isn't picked very high in 2022 but with the transfer portal and with nil and guys moving around so much i think preseason polls are more obsolete now than ever you've really got to see what teams look like once they get on the field and they're not facing themselves which is what everybody's been doing for the last four or five weeks i don't know if morgan state's going to tell us a whole lot about this team but at least the eagles won't be hitting the eagles which is what they've been doing for way too long and everybody down here is excited for it I couldn't agree with you more. I always think the uh, the top 25 polls that come out preseason are the biggest joke there are, there is, you know, uh, they get, they, they, don't get me wrong. They get a lot of it right, but there, there are things that, that, that I, I don't get. And the same thing can be said even more so now um, with, in regards to uh, preseason prediction within the Sun Belt at, at media days. So you're listening and we're talking tonight, Craig Malasson and Danny Reed, the voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Uh, Danny, you mentioned a little bit about a new office, offense, but at the same time, still part of the old offense, I guess. But is the the RPO type of offense, is that, I mean, I know it's different than, than what you guys were running in the past, I guess, technically a true option, but uh, have, have you changed a lot on the offensive side? The the way that I put it to people is when you're an option team and you're throwing the ball between 10 and 15 times a game, anything that's not that is going to look like an automatic air raid. And it's funny because USC did change its system while Coach Held was out there before 2019. The USC has been predominantly known as a pro-style offense for so many years, regardless of who the head coach is, whether it was Pete Carroll, whether it was John Robinson, doesn't matter. They were they were smash mouth. They were good on defense, great defensive back, great history. But they changed to an air raid system when he brought in Graham Harold to run his offense. And, of course, how Keaton Slow was played before transferring Jackson Dart last year. Ultimately, though, it, it, it just didn't work. It, it didn't work in the end. Now it's on another 
offshoot air raid guy, Lincoln Riley, to try to run his system. And, he, you know, he got his quarterback from Oklahoma, so maybe things work out there. He's certainly getting paid handsomely enough. But offensively here, it, it is it is going to look a little bit different to people who haven't had a chance to watch the spring game or go to any practices or see this team up close since the Appalachian State game last year. Ball's going to be in the air a lot more. I think ideally they want to be as close to 50-50 as possible. Brian Ellis said that if they could run 80 plays per game, that would be where they'd want to live. If they could have 40 runs and 40 passes, that would sound pretty good. But like we talked about before, sometimes you're going to run the ball more. And with those running backs, with as deep a running back room as there is, and with the way the offensive line has improved under Richard Owens, who might be end up being one of the top assistant coaches in this conference, maybe anywhere with the, the strides that the O-line has made since last year. But sometimes, you know, you might see Kyle Vaintrees throw it 40, 45, 50 times. He threw it 50 times a year ago when he was at Buffalo when they played at Nebraska. And, of course, we'll be out there on September the 10th for the second game of the season. But the the interesting thing for for Vantrees from that standpoint is that for five years, he was Buffalo's quarterback. He started 26 games. But he was mostly turning and handing the ball off. Now, they were pistol. They were shotgun. It, you could say it was RPO, but they were about running the football. 2020, they had Jared Patterson, who's now trying to get into the rotation with the Washington Commanders. They were number two in the country in rushing yards. And you wouldn't think that for Buffalo. But that is a program that has improved. Lance Leopold was there before going to Kansas. Now with Van Trees getting a chance to run a more balanced version of an RPO, if you want to put it that way, he's going to be asked to do a lot more. And somebody that I think has has waited his chance to show what he can do. He's a really impressive guy. The arm talent is there, but it's the leadership that these coaches and these players really admire about him. You've got seven quarterbacks in the room, but clearly he is the number one. It, it feels like the system was tailored a little bit for him, and he's getting a chance to work with a group of receivers that won for the guys that are returning. Talented guys with Caleb Hood, Darius Lewis, Sam Kennison, and Derwin Burgess. Burgess had a huge game at Texas State last year. And then you throw in a couple of transfers, namely Jeremy Singleton out of Houston, who's a big speed guy, can play on the inside, can play on the outside. Simply finding ways to, to make it all work. And when you combine with the way the offense has improved, where the running game could be, regardless of whether it is featured or whether it is the undercard, and with that passing game that is undoubtedly going to be seen more regardless of how much Georgia Southern throws, it's, it's going to be as balanced as the offense has ever been here. It'll be a departure from the 50 to 60 carries a game that so many people in Eagle Nation are used to, and I would imagine that the two-and-a-half-hour time of games are going to be gone because with running the football clock's going to be running a lot more. I wouldn't think that would be in the equation very much, but as long as the Eagles can just tap into what's going to make them them, by the end of the season, if you got more wins than losses, you're going to surprise people by going to a bowl game, and then you can build from there. But they just need to show improvement in every way, regardless of whether that's a better record or simply by doing things better. It, it, it's tough to quantify it that way, but for a team that's three and nine, you've got to look for improvement in any way you can find it. I think sometimes people get hung up a little bit too much on, I hate to say balanced offense. I understand what they're trying to say, but a lot of times the last eight minutes of the game or the fourth quarter, or however you want to say it, is uh, it's going to dictate what you're doing, whether you're going to be passing the ball or you're going to be running the ball trying to run out the clock. So it's one of those things you almost have to take out that last eight minutes and then see how balanced the team was at that point. Yeah, my understanding of balance, and this is a definition that kind of 
trying to put together from a number of coaching staffs that we've had a chance to work with and in being here. But balance is how you can keep a defense off balance, making sure that whatever defense is being run can't line up and say, we know exactly what you're going to do. Balance is keeping the defense honest so you can run exactly what you want to do. The option in a way can be balanced because when you run the triple, you've got to be ready for at least three parts of a running play, but also you throw in the wrinkle of an end around, a wingback slot back toss, the option pass. So you constantly have a defense guessing. So while it might look like the same thing over and over and over, that's still forced the defense to be honest. They can load the box up with eight or nine guys, but that's why you get beat over the top for 50 and 60 yards on a pass because you're worried about stopping a fullback or stopping quarterback or a pitch. But with this system that is not necessarily run option based, there is a good bit of RPO involved, but they're looking to get the ball to the outside to their speed guys as quickly as possible. There's going to be a lot more screen game in 2022 with, with Caleb Hood, with Jeremy Singleton, Marcus Sanders is a freshman out of Macon County who has a chance to be really good if he continues to progress and then being able to use almost the running game to make sure that that is what keeps people honest because before Georgia Southern would pass to keep a defense honest. But now I would think that, it's still going to be pretty close to the same number of runs as passes, but the base is going to be to get that ball outside and let those guys who traditionally would be blocking, allow them to catch, use their hands for something different and then get upfield. And then if you spread out a little bit, trying to account for four and five wide receivers, that's where that talented backfield can gas you through the middle. Well, if I remember correctly, uh, the last couple of years, I know the games, uh, the Cajuns won the games, but at the same time, Georgia Southern's uh, uh, wideouts did a, uh, a great job of catching the ball and getting yards after the catch. So if you guys continue to do that, I think you're going to be fine. Is uh, Kyle Van Treese, is Treese, is that how you say it? Is, is that correct? Is is he the biggest transfer in for, for the Eagles on offense? Yeah, yeah, I would probably overall. So I, I, would, I would say that's the case. Look, you, you've got – you got 54 newcomers on this team and 21 of them are transfers. So you could make a case for a lot of guys and who's going to be valuable in their own way. But for Georgia Southern, the transfer quarterback isn't something that's happened a whole lot here. I mean, typically when it has, it has not been in the best of situations. And well, you can look at what's happened right now. You're coming off the three and nine season, but usually that transfer quarterback outside of a Jabo Shaw has struggled, but there, there has been an enhanced commitment to this offense, the talent that surrounds in the skill positions, the way that the strength and conditioning staff has dramatically altered the physical composition of so many of these players. And really everybody has embraced where that athletic department is headed. And that might be a, a pie in the sky reference to it, but it, it's, it's where we're headed. With everything that is going on outside the white lines, everything in the white lines has got to match up. And the concept that AD Jared Benko has used a number of times is the alignment. And that's between the athletic department and the university. That's between the athletic department and the football program and any of the 17 sports that Georgia Southern offers. 
But you've got to be pulling on the same side of the rope if you're going to go anywhere. If there's any kind of resistance, if there's any kind of a me attitude instead of a we attitude, and there's any deviation from the plan, then it's going to be tough to accomplish the overall mission of that plan. And for Georgia Southern, of course, you want to see it accomplished as quickly as possible, but it might take two, three, four years. And ideally, we hope it doesn't take that long. And in the case of Van Trees, this is it for him. He's got this one year to show what he can do to lead this offense with his arm, with his legs, with his heart, with his mind, however it's going to look and how that's going to feed to the defense with Will Harris coordinating for the first time. There's going to be some four-man fronts, some three-man fronts. They're going to base out of the nickel. Georgia Southern has not done that since 2017. But it might be great. It might not. But the fact that Georgia Southern is an unknown, what you can account for for Georgia Southern is that typically, you know the Eagles are going to be running the football. They're going to stop the run. They're going to have very good special teams. But with so much new, the fact that Georgia Southern is unknown makes them more dangerous than I think they ordinarily would be. And, and, and I, I personally like that. I agree. You're listening to We're Talking Tonight, Craig Malonsaw and Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Danny, let's take a quick break here uh, to freshen up our adult beverage, maybe, if you need to. Uh, I may need to, but I'm not going to tell everybody I need to because I don't want to sound like I need to. So <laughs> as I blubber on, obviously I'm – need not drink anymore but you're listening we're talking craig malonson and danny reed voice of the georgia southern eagles any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited except ah uh, who the hell are we kidding distribute it share it put it in your podcast broadcast it or put it on social media just give credit where credit's due 